0: It's a bird. It's a plane. A magic marker. A felt pen! It's a mistake. It's a drop. It's a fucking comedy. It's quiet. Maybe
1: too quiet. It's all happening.
2: It's a good day to die.
1: It's a good day to talk about movies. Welcome back. It is a good day to talk to Daniel Knight. I am your host, Duncan. Joining me, as always, are Gardner, Dunks, and Tarin. Howdy, howdy. Today we have an interview with filmmaker Daniel Knight. He's a writer, director, actor, or former actor, maybe. He does VFX work. He produces. We talk about all this and more in the interview. We're really excited to share it with you. Daniel was a great guest and had a lot of interesting things to share with us.
2: Daniel is the man. Y'all are going to really enjoy this.
1: Yes, yes. Since we're not discussing any one film today... There won't be any initial thoughts. We're just going to jump right into the interview. There also won't be any ratings at the end of the episode, since, again, we're talking about his entire filmography and not just one work. Before we go any further, I do want to say that we will be spoiling Daniel's short film Troll Bridge. It's a lovely adaptation of Terry Pratchett's Discworld short story of the same name. So I would recommend you check that out before listening to the episode. Trollbridge, along with his other short films, is available to watch on his YouTube page called Snowgum Films. So go check out his work before you listen to the interview. All of it is really funny and entertaining, so I recommend you watch them all. The link to his YouTube page will be in the podcast episode description. Other than that, do you guys have anything to say before we get into the interview?
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, definitely go watch his films. This is going to be a really cool one for, for everybody who's interested in independent, low-budget film production. Uh, you're going to have a lot to glean from this one so stay tuned
3: yeah it kind of feels like a diamond that we uncovered i'd never heard of it he's been making these videos for so long i'm surprised i would never seen any of his shit because it's all like real fun you know it's cool shit very funny like very humorous yeah it's right Um, in my wheelhouse of the kind of like videos i like
1: daniel knight is a very underrated filmmaker for sure and we need to get more eyes on troll bridge and get more eyes ready for what he's making next which we talk about in this interview
2: actually
3: yeah, him and yeah, really
2: some sick shit. Yeah, his, his projects that are coming up, we get to that later in the interview. Definitely stay tuned for that because the projects he's got coming up sound really exciting.
1: Yeah, and we'll update you guys on that as he gets further along in the process with those. So without further ado, here's our interview with Daniel Knight. We are joined now by a special guest. Daniel Knight is here to talk to us about his short films. Daniel, thank you so much for being with us today.
0: Oh, it's a pleasure to be here.
1: Awesome. So I wanted to start by asking you what got you into film and what made you want to be a writer and director?
0: Oh man. I mean, that's going back a bit. That's uh primary <laughs> school stuff. I don't know. Um, I always, uh, geez, I'm just trying to figure out where the logical entry uh, point there is. Um, I found, uh, I, guess, I guess as far back as primary school, um that I enjoyed performing for others uh like I uh, like pretending I was someone who I wasn't um and I, I used to put on little plays for the family um or, or for my friends at school um and at some point in mid-high school I started doing uh drama uh just kind of as a uh a, a, a side study um and it was through that process uh and doing our first couple of stage shows uh, that I, I fell in love with it um, completely and utterly. Um, uh, and at that point in, in my life, I, I wanted to be an actor and I wanted to pursue that. Um, so I did for the longest time um, and I moved across the country. I, I grew up in a little town called Perth, which, is, which has the fame of being the uh, most isolated metropolis in the world. Um, and I moved from there to Melbourne, which is on the complete other side of Australia um, and is kind of known as the arts capital, I guess, um, to try and get that career going. And I started doing uh, short films, like acting in short films. And I directed a couple of theatre pieces and I thought, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try my hand at directing a, a, a short and I did, and I fell in love with it even further, more so than acting. Um, and then I started writing my own shorts, and that, then it all came together. And it was like, no, I actually don't want to be an actor. Uh, I much prefer being behind the camera uh, and telling other actors what they should do with the script that I've written. Um, and I guess that's how it all came together in a, in a very brief uh, summation. All right. So
1: at what point did you come up with Snowgum? you know your own production company when did you come up with that
0: sure 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 uh the the snow gum is a a type of tree that that grows here i mean we've got lots of gum trees um here in australia uh eucalypts um where are you guys based actually
1: we're from New, or i'm in new york and
0: you guys are in north carolina yeah the two of us are in north carolina sure okay cool i don't i don't know about the uh east coast or but i i definitely know Uh, California is inundated with gum trees. They're they're an introduced pest uh, from Australia. Um, And one of the types of gum trees we grow here is called the snow gum. Um, We were location scouting for uh, a short film that I was uh, making uh, called Troll Bridge. Um, And we went up to a place called Mount Buller, um, me and my location scout, Brendan Penny, uh and we were inundated by these beautiful trees in just the most gorgeous mist you can ever imagine um and they were snow gums and we didn't have a name for the production company so brendan and i thought snow gum would be a pretty good name for it and that's that's all it is it's uh, a hardy tree it's a tough tree and it kind of looks really nice in the mist <laughs> was was snow gum productions was
3: that to get Troll Bridge moving was that like you made that so you could also pursue the film I mean for those listening that don't know you know he made Troll Bridge it's a pretty amazing adaptation of Terry Pratchett's Troll Bridge but was that where you was that the inception
0: point of the production company yeah for sure um like I mean that 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 was pretty much the the turning point for me deciding I wanted to do film full-time was getting a fair bit into Troll Bridge um, uh, a film director rather than a film actor. So uh, I'd been in a lot of short films uh, here in Melbourne, and one of the films that I was in was uh, a Star Wars fan film called Broken Allegiance, and it did really well online. Um, fan films were all the rage, but at that point, most of them were Star Wars. And I started thinking, you know, wouldn't it be wonderful if someone made a Discord fan film? And I I used to talk shit about that all the time and my mates kept cornering me on it and go, well, go on, Daniel. No one else is going to do it. You do it. You do it. You do it. I'm like, I've never directed a film before, Um, but I talked about it so much. uh, I kind of ended up having to follow through with it. Um, And that was kind of the beginning of the process. Uh, so uh, we did all the location scouting um, and then we shot a whole bunch of stuff and, and then I, I, I fell in love with the, the process entirely. But yes, the film came first. The, the film, uh, we wanted to make the film and, and we needed a production company. Like I, it, it wasn't supposed to be a, a Daniel Knight thing. Um, I didn't want it to be a Daniel Knight thing. I wanted it to be a, a family of artists and creators that could get together and, and build something under a common banner. Um, so yeah, we had to, we had to form a production company around that
2: Mm. with so much, uh, work and prep time that went into troll bridge, uh, in the, in the pre-production, I wanted to ask about sort of the process of adaptation of adapting the short story. I know that, um, a lot of writers have kind of different ways to approach that process of translating from the page to the screen. Um, what did that look like for for Snowgum, for y'all?
0: Sure. Uh, well, adapting Terry Pratchett is a very, very easy thing to do because he already writes in the rhythm of a Person speaking. Um, his dialogue uh, is really, really pleasant to say as a performer. Um, and my introduction to Terry was actually through theatre. So there's a gentleman in the UK called Stephen Briggs who adapted a number of his books into stage plays. And the, and the production company I was with at the time, Black Yak Theatre, uh, decided that they were going to do a disc called production. Um, so it was doing these productions with Black Yak that I was introduced to Terry and the best way of adapting him. And honestly, the best way of adapting him is just to figure out what's going on around the dialogue. So you, you grab the dialogue, you make sure the dialogue that you're grabbing is all the parts relevant to the story that you're telling, um, and then just mainly figuring out what vision goes in and around that. Um, Ida directed uh, a couple of those Yak stage plays, uh, one of those I wrote for myself. So that was like, a, uh, I think it ended up being three hours, two and a half hours, maybe uh, length adaptation of Sorcery, which we performed in 2000, 2001, I think it was. Um, so before Troll Bridge, I had already adapted uh, Pratchett um, and with a much harder content. Uh, because in Sorcery, there's ice giants, there's a world that's constantly evolving underneath the, the character's feet. There's all sorts of crazy stuff to do. Um, but in theatre, it's kind of a lot easier to do because you kind of use Shakespeare's device of you know, stepping forward on the stage and you say, oh, my gosh, look at that tower that's being built in a distance. And you don't need to show the tower, but provided you've got an actor saying that, Uh, it's very easy to get on board with that and believe it. Um, So the only difference I had really between adapting the theatre shows and adapting the film was I I couldn't just have an actor saying, hey, what's that over there? We we actually had to show it. Um, And I I guess that was the main attraction to to be able to do that with Discworld because no one at this point had really done it before. um, And I thought if we treated Discworld as a serious world, even though it's primarily a comedic series, uh, I, I thought that might be a unique take to take it forward. I, I, I kind of thought that's maybe what Teru would want done with it. I, I try and put myself in his shoes and, and try and guess how he would want to see it put onto a screen. Amazing. It's a great
1: response right there. So speaking on Troll Bridge, though, one of the first things that kind of popped out to me when I was watching it is that voiceover that, plays at the beginning and also plays at the end as well which is very Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings to me and I didn't know if that totally. was something that was kind of coincidental or if that was something that was maybe in the back of your head I don't know
0: oh no 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 this film wouldn't exist without Peter Jackson we we stole everything from him <laughs> um and that's kind of keeping with the DNA in the way that Discworld is created um Discworld is largely uh, satirical of all types of fantasy that that could be mythology or classical literature or, or modern day cinema. Um, So when we approached Trowbridge, we looked at the content that Terry was Terry uh, was riffing from. And when he wrote it, he wrote it. uh, It it was released in a collection of short stories uh, and anthology called After the King, which was in honor of J.R.R. Tolkien. So all the writers that wrote into this were, were supposed to have Middle Earth at the back of their minds, um, so that's something I definitely did with Troll Bridge. It's like, okay, we 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 can't use the same grammar uh, as a written word, but we can use cinematic grammar. And if we're going to satirise or parody uh, Middle Earth cinematically, um, it kind of makes sense. Well, you need that Kate Blanchett style voiceover at the beginning and the end you you need new zealand um and you need these epic bits of architecture that make absolutely no sense whatsoever (laughs) um to to try and bring it together like uh, if, if you're watching troll bridge and you're thinking of lord of the rings then we've done a good job that's exactly what we were intending to do and very well done because that's exactly yeah
2: the sweeping shots when he's walking across the ridge of the mountain—I um, was like, "Oh my god, that's like literally like them walking, you know, the the fellowship going across the thing." Was that was that done in a helicopter?
0: Um, yeah, yeah, This is before drones. Before drones. So we with that our Kickstarter, we had some additional funding to um, hire a helicopter in Queensland. Uh, so we did. Um, And we had half a day and we got a helicopter pilot that was available at the time that was used to shooting film and his name was Alf and it turns out that he was one of the chief helicopter pilots on Lord of the Rings, so he knew where to take us that wasn't Lord of the Rings, but was close enough to being Lord of the Rings. And he did, That's so he got um, Don, he was our actor, our cinematographer and our makeup artist. That, that was all we needed. Oh, and We also had a safety officer and they would fly up off into the air and find these remote locations where you couldn't get to by car or, or even walking. You certainly couldn't take a horse. And they would drop Don on the side of the mountain and say, yeah, just walk up that hill and pretend you're leading a horse. And then the helicopter would do a couple of laps of him uh, pop back down again. Don would get in and they would go off to the next location. And they did that three or four times. And um, yeah, those, those helicopter shots, uh, they, they certainly give the film uh, budget. It certainly um, helps us get that Lord of the Rings quality we were going for.
1: Yeah, Definitely. And again, we're going real heavy on the Troll Bridge right now, but I I have more placed. questions to ask about it. If, <laughs> yeah, as long as you're willing, uh, as long as you're willing. So a lot of your stuff is very comedic. Troll Bridge is not any different than the, in that regard, but it's also, or I felt it was, very heartwarming in a lot of different places, and it really leaves you with that good feeling as you're you know as you're watching the credits roll you feel pretty good about the characters and and where where they've left themselves and it was that like a balance that was kind of hard for you or were like were you trying to like don't go too funny still be funny like was that something that was hard or
0: oh, well it, it was it was kind of what we set out to do um, that there's a trap with Discworld in that it can be done for laughs. And at that time, when we were making it, um, the the content that was being created around it seemed to treat it uh, as as kind of almost carry on. Or, uh, geez, I don't know what the best words for it. But the, but definitely, the comedy and the silliness was um, the main objective for this content. And. When I was first introduced to Discworld, someone sat me down and said, oh, Daniel, you'd love Discworld. I know you played Dungeons and Dragons. You'll absolutely adore Discworld. You know, there's this box with legs that runs around with a thousand legs and death eats curry. And I was hearing this and I just thought this is absolutely absurd silliness. I'm just not interested in that kind of stuff. I I thought I was interested in serious fantasy. And it it wasn't until we started doing the plays and I started researching the material that... um, I fell in love, not with the silliness, but with how much heart it actually does have um, and how deep those characters go. And you fall in love with these characters over multiple, multiple, multiple books. I mean, no book is a direct sequel to the other books, um, but the characters all thread through them. Um, so Discord ends up becoming this beautifully large tapestry. Of uh, characters from all desperate corners of the the, the world that it's set in, um, all, all with their own motivations and what they they want to achieve in life. So when we were doing Troll Bridge, and with that story in particular, there is certainly a feeling that Terry was going for that we wanted to nail, um, and that was kind of this remorse remorsefulness about. Uh, how far we had progressed and kind of this nostalgia about thinking about the old days and how the old days were better, but that, were they really that better and, and how the world had kind of moved on from the way we, we today feel about barbarian heroes running around in loincloths and rescuing virgins. Um, when we were doing it, um, there wasn't this shift that there is today Uh, And and it's kind of, it feels more relevant today than it did when we were actually making it Um, because content creation today takes all of that stuff very much at the forefront, you know, Um, making sure uh, that there is enough uh, representation in the films and that everybody is being treated in in the correct light. Fantasy has evolved a great deal from Conan um, for, for the better. Um, and tr- trollbridge has a look at that, that kind of evolution of storytelling and, and how we picture our heroes from yesterday to today and, and how they can possibly fit into our mindscapes for the future.
1: It's actually really interesting to hear you talk about it in that light because as I'm hearing the dialogue when I'm watching it, that was one of the things that I really thought about is because it's this whole, the whole thing of things aren't the way they used to be you know they're kind of reminiscing on the past but at the same time are they reminiscing on a better past not necessarily right and that's where it was like it's kind of a little bit ironic and i i mean if that's what you were trying to do it absolutely shown through oh um, no no i mean when we were watching it
0: absolutely and it's all there in the dialogue as well you know even there's a there's a line right at the end which i quite like um where cohen is reminiscing about um cut shade forest uh the, the woods that they've just passed her and how there's no goblins anymore and he goes what happened to all the goblins and and the horse replies well you you killed them all and, and you know cohen has a laugh at this oh yeah that's right i i, I did kill them all but that's that's quite tragic really yeah. um yeah. you know that the world is the way it is because you shaped it like this cohen um you know and i I just I really like that aspect about the original story. So yeah, um I, I think Terry Pratchett is an incredibly faceted uh writer. Um so it was very important to us to create a faceted film. Yeah, in, in that film. light
3: we have uh, you know, the the trolls, we have a merchant troll that they reference, the 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 lumberer. And I think there's you know, in the same, same vein we were talking about with them longing for the past, but it's like, also that's, that's a glimmer for the future, right? You know, the trolls aren't secluded to living under bridges. There's, you know, they're part of everyday life and other aspects.
0: Oh, sure, they're going to work for a dollar now. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're, they're slaves to the system like the rest of us.
2: <laughs> you mentioned in the behind the scenes of Troll Bridge, this awesome, we're big like movie extras guys, so we want to shout out everybody to go watch the the four part behind the scenes. Um, that at at film school they they kind of teach you how to use a camera and microphones and set it up and how to point and shoot it, but not really how to work with actors. Um, but you had because you had done stage productions and directed your own. So can you talk to us a little bit about that process of kind of moving into filmmaking and working with actors? What was a challenge that you didn't expect or or what was easier, you know? What kind of differs between on stage and in front of a camera?
0: Right, right. Because I was an actor first and foremost. Um, when when I moved to directing, and and I knew the way that actors like to respond to things and and be dealt with, because I, I knew how I liked to respond to things and and be dealt with. Um, that the actors were the easy bit for me. Uh, it, it was. Uh, pointing a camera in a particular way and learning how to edit and, and all the science behind it. Um, that, that was the really tricky stuff. But all it is, it, it, regardless of what department you're dealing with, um, and I don't know how to do anything. Like uh, I see the job as a director as being a jack of all trades, but master of none. Um, you need to know enough to be able to communicate effectively with each department and that includes your actors. Um, It's a communication job. Uh, So you've got to be very good at knowing how to push someone in the right direction to achieve the output that you want. And you all need to be on the same page with this. You all need to be on the same team. It's no good alienating anyone or, or going, you know, it's gotta be my way or the highway. And I am going to be like this. You you need to be multifaceted yourself. You need to adopt these uh, different personas when dealing with different departments. Like The, the makeup wanna be treated completely different to the, the camera department, to the groups, to uh, the, the, the actors. And, and the actors um, is where you're gonna have the most fun because um, they need whatever they think you can give them to make the character right for you they can't see what you're doing behind the camera so there's a lot of trust that they're placing in you that you can be their judge so you need to be looking after them probably the most um they need to feel safe in their environment um some actors like to be joked around with some don't some prefer uh to be approached very seriously um it it just depends on where they are on any one day and what they're doing and you try and become in sync with that it's mate it's 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 not just about understanding the actor and the character but you need to be very good at empathizing you need to be a very empathetic reader you need to understand body language uh and and voice tone and you need to be able to take all that it's not just words um and if you can do all that then and you can communicate that back to the to the teams then well they'll they'll do the job for you um I, i don't know how to hold a camera you know i've got experts that know how to do that. Um, I, I give them a feeling and I, I talk to them about, uh, about what I'm after. And then they use their talents to achieve that. Um, I, I'm a nobody in the scheme of things. I, I'm the chief chooser, that's, that's all I do. It makes me think of kind of how um, Steve Jobs described
2: uh, what he did and I've, I've heard other film directors kind of talk about this is like everyone else is the expert we've got the the product designers and everything and it's like what do you do it's like I play the orchestra it's like they're the ones with the instruments and I'm kind of directing them and, and showing them what to do which in itself is not easy
0: it takes a lot of work to get good at yeah it's it's not <laughs> you're right it's not easy um but it is just effective communication that that's all it is if you're a poor communicator then they're not going to understand what you want uh, and if you're an excellent communicator then they will understand what you want and then it's just a matter of getting everybody on the same page and that you know it's, it's not just a script being handed out it's you've got to go through what this script is a thousand different times in a thousand different ways with each person uh, to get it on their level
1: mm. so you just talked a little bit about working with actors so what about working with yourself as an actor because i think that is undead ted the only one of your shorts that you have acted in or have you
0: am i wrong in that no 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 Uh, no no that's right yeah 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 that's the that that is the only one i've acted in with each short film i've done i've tried doing something that i'd never done before um and this this was all leading up to troll bridge so i was i was making all these short films while we were making troll bridge um and i I wanted to do something different each time to teach myself how to better be a director um and then undead was one of those I, I wanted to try my hand at a mockumentary um and i wanted to try my hand at being in it and i wanted to try my hand at ad-libbing it like so there was no script um the, the, the it doesn't start anywhere it doesn't go anywhere i i just i had a rough i had a couple of jokes in my head that i knew i wanted to play Um, and I I had a voice that I I liked talking with around my mates Um, and we developed this character uh, very drunkenly. One night, um, it was me and the visual effects artist, Dale Bamford, Um, he had a whole heap of latex lying around and he goes, let's do you up as a zombie, Dan. And we we did it Um, and that night, very drunk we just spent the night walking the neighborhood while he filmed me uh with with a tiny little camera and from there i went you know what let's let's do it properly next time (laughs) not drunk uh and, and see where we end up so we did um i think we spent about 12 hours maybe 16 hours shooting like it was a very long day um put the makeup on um and then we just wandered around various parts of melbourne Ad-libbing, just coming up with ideas. We shot so much footage that didn't end up in that seven minutes. Um, so I guess I guess it wasn't really working. I was just, I, I relied solely on my uh, DOP, my director of photography. That was Daniel Yun, um, who's... Uh, a guy I love working with. Um, He's always got a lot of ideas himself and I'm very collaborative. So if he wanted to get a particular shot or whatever, I would try and come up with a scenario that would suit that particular shot Um, and we'd go for it. And sometimes it would make the cutting room, sometimes it it wouldn't. Um, And out of that, we got a a seven minute short absurd film Um, just as zombies were taking off. He wouldn't fly now, it wouldn't work now. There's a thousand zombie things, Um, but it was fun for the time. I don't know if I've seen a zombie take like yours, though. I mean, the
3: the joking and the, the fact that you ad-libbed that in a day is kind of shocking me that you went in without any scripts because some
2: of those jokes were just like Yeah, we were quoting it before we started recording <laughs> some of the best lines.
0: <laughs> oh, thank you.
2: Duncan, I think you had a question about Undead Ted, right?
1: I I do have a question, and it is my follow-up. Here it is. So, mockumentary, zombie... Makes you think of another movie that came out seven years afterwards, actually. What We Do in the Shadows, um, which is obviously not zombies, but vampires in that one. But do you right. think that that Jermaine Clement and Taika Waititi maybe saw your video
0: and got some ideas from it? Maybe owe you some royalties. Yeah. Oh, mate, they, they rip me off all the time.
1: That's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs>
0: No, I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think they saw it at all. But I, I, I do wonder if they came from the same starting position that I was in. I mean, as we were developing the character, it was kind of like, what, what could we do to satirise, interview with the vampire? Well, it would be interview with the zombie, wouldn't it? Um, and then what we do in the shadows is, once again, satirising, uh, interview with the vampire because they're being interviewed. Um, I, no, I just, I, th- I think Australia and New Zealand um, have very, very similar senses of humour. Um, uh, I've got some scripts lying around called Dex and Beck's Paranormal Investigators, uh, which is about a couple of uh, Mulder and Scully types that go around dealing with the absurdity of the week. And it is identical to Wellington Paranormal. And I know they never saw those scripts. Uh, it's just one of those things. It's people come up with the same ideas, bastards. Great minds, that's right. Well, fools never differ. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, I did want to ask about the um, sort of uh, uh, production value on Troll Bridge, and um, just looking at like the behind the, the behind the scenes, it looked like a pretty big project in terms of scale, at least in comparison to what had come before. So, was that really daunting? I mean, you had a lot of pre production. Um, going into it. So did you feel really confident
0: when uh, it actually all kicked off? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, you need some arrogance. Um, we didn't know what we were doing. Absolutely did not know at all what we were doing. And and that was kind of a, our superpower in the end uh, because nothing daunted us. You know, we weren't scared of anything. Um, we didn't fully appreciate how difficult it was going to be. That was tomorrow's problem. We'll deal with that tomorrow um you know and we had 17 years worth of tomorrows uh because whatever we were working on felt like oh, as soon as we clock this bit as soon as we get over this hump it's going to be all downhill from there and it wasn't as soon as you crested the hill there was another mountain range that you had to figure out um and and that was working on troll bridge um we only had one thing on the plate at the time um so you know and, and it might have been trying to figure out okay well we've got a horse that needs to be melded with the cg horse that's talking let's just focus how do you do the tracking okay these are the guys that know how to do the tracking let's have discussions with them okay so we we need a model all right so we get another guy to do the model let's how do we do that all right let's figure out how to do that okay now how do we blend these two things whoa we've got a tracked head over the horse head this is going to be easy all right now we need to talk to some animators you know and it it just keep going from there we we only chipped off one issue at a time had we have looked at the entirety of the whole and tried doing everything at once oh my god it would have been a complete disaster but being able to just go one step at a time um you know baby steps that's what i can recommend i think good
2: good life advice too in general right and going off that and kind of talking
1: about what you were just talking about some of how you had to composite like the horse for example and those special effects and all of it looks great all the effects in all of your short films look great and so i have a couple questions about how you did some of them if if you don't mind me asking
0: go go for it i hope you okay. can answer them <laughs> yeah
1: so the morning after uh sure the arm uh the effect with the arm how'd you do that one because that one it looked great to me
0: oh, great fantastic well that that you know that was a back in the early days everything started from a drunken conversation between me and Dale my my visual effects guru who, who runs nightshade effects uh the guy's a genius um so we knew we wanted to do a broken arm so he took a, a cast of Aldiana's arm we didn't have any budget uh Aldiana was the actress uh took a cast of her arm we didn't have the budget so he did it in latex um and we stuffed it full of stakes Pretty much, so we just got some meat from the butcher and just f- filled it all in uh, with a bit of bone sticking out, and that was kind of our close-up. Um, in the shot where you can see that the arm is clearly separated from her, uh, that was teaching me myself how to composite. That was my first attempt at ever compositing anything, and I put it in there just one shot, just one shot, just to teach myself how to do this trick. Um, because if I, if I knew how to do that, I'd be able to communicate with uh, actual compositors that do this for a living later on down the track, um, and th- that's all it was. So we, we shot with it just sitting up on the bed, sitting upright with the arm laying next to it, and I stitched those two ideas together with a blank plate of the bed behind. Um, it's a still shot. It's on a tripod. It does not move. Uh, so there's no tracking involved or anything like that. It was, and I made sure she didn't move as well. So it's not like she's moving her arm up and down. It was just making that trick as simple as possible, and then learning some Photoshop skills in After Effects.
1: Awesome. Well, like I said, I loved it. Um, Thanks. Yeah, and so then also in Blood on the Game Dice, you have the the slow mo shot of the of the die.
0: Yeah,
1: and that again it just like the production quality seems like it's just like movie quality. I just I don't understand how uh, you get it to how everything looks so good in all of your stuff. You know what I mean?
0: Oh, thank you. I don't know either. <laughs> 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 like, like we, I wanted, I wanted to play around a little bit with some CG, just a shot. Um, and that, and that was, the, the CG shot of the dice, a, a dice was going to be a very easy thing to create. So I started a conversation with the guy who scoped with the dice. I took him a whole bunch of photos of the dice. I wanted him to recreate, which is a dice we used in the film, which is from the original, uh, one of the original D and D box sets behind me somewhere. Um, and, uh, once we had that model, um, then it was, uh, we got we got the same model maker to animate it. And I think that was their first time animating. So they got to learn along with us. Um, and then once I had that rendered uh, and in the computer, then I took what I'd already learned with uh, my compositing in in the morning after and a few other things that I'd done since uh, and just color graded it until I was happy and applied motion blur and, and all the rest.
1: Yeah. Well, like I said, again, well done. I love it. Thanks. Um, and this one, I guess this last one is not really a question. It's more of just me saying I love the troll in Troll Bridge. Just it works very well. It's, you know, not too goofy where it's like it takes you out of it because it's obviously it's a CGI character next to a human character. Could look goofy, could kind of bring you out of the, out of it. Never happens at all. It works so well with it. Not really a question but i love it
0: <laughs> no thank you and i'd love to take credit for it but i, I really can't there um that 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 character had so many artists uh, contributing their time um and chief amongst them was christian block our visual effects supervisor um he was given a very rough idea of what the troll would look like so we had an illustrator kind of come up with the, the silhouette mainly um, our costume designer who Emily McGregor she'd been making all our costumes for all our films uh, all of a sudden had to create a digital content uh, digital costume um, so she illustrated that um, and gave it to Christian and then Christian built that uh, digitally um, then we had the actor John Jenkins who, who gave us the performance and but, but if there was any one author of Micah the troll, it would have to be Christian. Like it, it, he, he created the model for it. He did all the texturing um, and he was the lead animator. Um, and to boot, he was a massive Discord fan and that's kind of how we met. So he understood the tone that we were going for um, and what was required in balancing these absurd ideas and trying to make them grounded and, and realistic um and i well trowbridge wouldn't exist without christian i mean there's a lot of visual effects there uh it's all thanks to him and his team of 300 people that has to be said as well
1: so a little bit more on uh morning after and this isn't i guess this isn't really an effect but the newspapers on the walls i think has a double kind of utility of making the guys creepier and also keeping stuff off the walls it was that uh, uh am, am i reading that right as uh, maybe yeah, a little man, bit behind was... the scenes
0: no no that was my flat like i we were shooting <laughs> in my flat um i i didn't want to get blood on the walls uh i knew i was going to get in trouble with that and i thought what's the best way of protecting the walls i'll layer it with cardboard and then put newspapers over it and that'll give it a real grungy look whilst also protecting the walls and we spilled a lot of blood though over those two days. Like the, the amount of blood we went through was insane. Um, that that doona, sorry, not doona. The, the mattress that we used uh, got got thrown out <laughs> afterwards. It was absolutely drenched. Um, and I, I had this distinct memory of the mattress lying on the side. Uh, leaning up against the side of the flats waiting to be picked up for about a week with this massive bloodstain on it as people are walking past it in busy St. Kilda. Uh, in and Thornton. no one called the cops on you? Uh, it was St. Kilda, which is a pretty rough part of town at times. <laughs> I, I sometimes wonder it's like, if people just didn't even bother batting an eyelid. It was just, oh, yeah. Not my problem. <laughs> Ignore that. Not my, Keep moving. Not my
2: problem. Right. Just another day in the neighborhood yeah and with that film it's great because you get uh the
1: terror and the anxiety of your the main character without obviously any dialogue throughout the entire short film which I think is uh, a little bit of a testament to uh what you're able to do as a filmmaker
0: oh sure but you know that that actually ties back with what I was saying before about trying to teach yourself something new with each short film um I didn't understand cameras and the way cameras worked or editing and I thought, you know what, I want to concentrate on that. And I don't want to deal with dialogue or uh, sound because that's just a whole new level of complexity. I don't have the capability of dealing with right now. Um, but if I can now the camera, I'll, I'll walk away from this happy. So what's some ideas that I can come up with that would be a silent film without it necessarily being a silent film. Um, I, I didn't want to go through the silent, I didn't want to make a sat- a parody of a silent film. I, I wanted the, uh, the reasons of the film to to make it dialogue less.
1: So speaking about that and really all of yours, all of your work is comedic, darkly comedic. So obviously you're a filmmaker, but do you also consider yourself a comedian?
0: Oh no. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm I'm only funny when I write stuff down. I'm not funny in real life. Um, uh, I I don't know. I think I've got far too much depression in me to, to be a com- or, or Maybe that's not a, a holdback for comedians. I, I don't know. I'm definitely not a comedian. I'm not quick enough. My characters are quick enough uh, because I've got time to think about what they're going to say and what they're going to do and, and what those environments are. But it takes me an awful long time to think of those things and put it all together. Um, yeah, no, I wish I was.
1: Well, the stuff that you do write down works comedically i'll tell you that much and Thanks. going off that in goldilocks i have a one of my favorite lines in the whole thing is uh well let's just say papa bear he's a little bit of a humanitarian um <laughs> great line and so based on that that line my question is do you come up with an idea first and then kind of the jokes come afterwards or do you sometimes have like a joke that you want to center a video around Kind of like Undead Ted, where you said you had like a couple of jokes at the start.
0: Yeah, uh, when I'm when I'm writing, uh, I, I, they I think they break it down into two factions normally. Um, you're either a gardener or an architect. Um, you either design everything uh, and build and structure your story to it, and that's kind of what an architect does. Or, but a gardener will plant a seed and then nurture it and see where it goes. That's me. That, that, that's definitely what I do. Uh, I have a very vague idea of maybe what a funny-eyed concept will be. Um, and then I'll usually start off with a, an argument or a bit of conflict, and then I'll see where it goes from there. Uh, we, with Goldilocks, uh, I, I knew I kind of wanted a guy in a bear suit. That, that, that was literally it. And I thought, what would be fun to parody in a bear suit? And I thought cops would be fun to parody in a bear suit. What, what if he's a cop bear? And, and that's where it started. It, it all started around that, 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 that one character and trying to put this side, you know, we, we see them like uh, mascots for the police force. And I thought, what, what if a mascot for the police force was actually in this real situation? Uh, with live rounds what would actually happen particularly if he was a bit deranged and then I would just continue pulling that thread and seeing where it ended up awesome I love that you got to the
3: nursery rhyme like of Goldilocks and the three bears out of bear suit cop you know because <laughs> I honestly would have thought it was the opposite way around I'm kind of hoping maybe we do another adaptation another like satirical play on an old story because I liked your take on Goldilocks in like the modern world right where she's hiding her identity and running into, again,
0: you know, bear on the police force. (laughs) Sure. I mean, that's maybe just laziness on my part. I mean, I'm obsessed with fairy tales. I love fairy tales. So if I was starting with a bear, the first thing I'm going to jump to is trying to figure out which fairy tale would be a most appropriate way of doing it. And I see Troll Bridge as a fairy tale as well. It it might not be a a fairy tale for children, um, but it's certainly structured as a fairy tale. Um, A fairy tale for adults, maybe. Um, And and I kind of see a lot of my work fitting that structure. Um, I like tackling a subject matter without looking it in the eye directly. So, uh, and and this is very much what fairy tales are, you know, Little Red Riding Hood isn't a a moral story about, um, you know, don't talk to wolves in the woods. That's that's not what Little Red Riding Hood's about, you know. And, and be careful, Grandma could be a wolf. That again is not what Little Red Riding Hood's about. It's all about the subtext and what what are you actually teaching the the children here? You're teaching about the the dangers of the woods and the dangers of what's beyond the borders. Um, and that's kind of what I like doing. I don't like to uh, berate people with my art. I like to maybe get them sympathizing and empathizing with these characters in their unusual circumstances and maybe they can apply what they've seen later on to a real world subject matter um that's what fairy tales are
1: so going off of goldilocks a little bit here but also talking about all of your work when it comes to making one of those like you said you these short films a lot of times you were these were you were make, making them alongside troll bridge and so when you're casting for those are you I'm asking this question because I recognized Cameron Box in Goldilocks. So I don't, is that someone like, did you work with him beforehand? Do you know him or, or are you like putting out a casting call?
0: Sure. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, back in the early days, uh, we, we, we auditioned for everything. Um, and I reckon I've pretty much seen every Melbourne actor there is. Um, and you know, Kate Cameron is one of them. Uh, excellent performer looks exactly like a cop. And it wasn't for Goldilocks that he auditioned for. It was for one of the other films that he auditioned for. And I remembered him and thought, you know what? I'm gonna drop him an email or give him a buzz. It was so long ago, I can't remember. And see if he would agree. And he did, I'm very grateful for that. And Marguerite, the girl who played uh, Goldilocks, was also, she originally auditioned for Morning After, although she wasn't right for the Morning After. She was hilarious. And I knew I wanted to work with her on something. So uh, we we pulled her in and John Jenkins, the guy that is in the bear suit, is also the same actor that plays Micah the Troll in Troll Bridge. He he was another actor that uh, was just outstanding. I I knew I I constantly wanted to work with. Um, And and that happens all the time. Troy Larkins, the other one. The other guy that was in Goldilocks, the uh, the guy in the singlet with the blood spattered down him, um, is is pretty much my go-to comedic actor uh for, for for most things i end up casting him in a lot of things so yeah i, I mean i do <laughs> i do have auditions um but on on some projects it's just a lot easier to go with your mates and i don't want to say you know it's nepotism because all of these people auditioned for me at one point um and i love their work and i just wanted to continue working with them and i i still do um so if i can create more projects for them i'm stoked Yeah, you certainly
2: wouldn't be the first director to do that either.
0: (laughs) No. You you form a relationship, so you know each other's shorthands really well um, and you know exactly what you're going to get out of the performer and you can then tailor the scripts to that person. And it's so much easier. It's so much easier.
2: Mm. Do you sometimes, like, at the inception of uh, a short, like, you already know who you have in mind you like write material specifically for the actor?
0: Sometimes. Absolutely. Um uh one one of the scripts I'm currently working on called Curtains Down I've written a tro- a role for for Troy um, and another code a guy that, that was in Blood on ga- the Game Dice uh the guy playing Max the, the guy that stabbed the other dude in the neck with a pencil. Um, I've written a role for him. Um I, I absolutely do that. Um, cuz I I know the tone that they will bring to what I'm writing and it will be very funny. Um, And I'll certainly give them the room to ad lib and everything like that. But yeah, I I do that. And sometimes I create characters I've got no idea. Um, And Kern Sand has plenty of those as well. I'm I'm gonna have to hold auditions. And, And it's possible the role I made for Troy, Troy doesn't end up playing, um, and that gets filled by somebody else. And then Troy ends up in a different role. It's, uh, you just don't know. Um, the audition, auditions are still very, very, very important aspects of the film. Uh, you you wanna try and make sure that you've got um, as many options and opportunities as possible.
2: Mm. I feel like that's a good jumping off point for a question I wanted to ask. In your kind of like trailer for your Patreon page, on YouTube you go through several of the uh projects that are kind of in progress curtains down being one of them and uh I was wondering maybe could you give us any insight into kind of how that's going what can we expect
0: anything like that or is it all sure. hush hush no oh, no i'm <laughs> I'm very trans Like, because, because of Troll Bridge, we had to make sure that everything was online and exposed for all the people that backed it. And, and I don't want to make films any other way. I want to talk about every single aspect of the process. Um, so there, there's nothing that's really hush-hush. Uh, Curtains Down was originally going to be a feature film, um, but I wrote too much. So now I'm kind of reworking it into a mini series. Um, for the audience at home it's it's kind of uh it's set in mad max's time um it's after the disaster destroys the planet and it's about a group of thespians uh, an acting troupe, who are going from gas town to punk town to mutant town uh just trying to perform some shakespeare for the crowds uh and it's about them dealing with that environment um and w- what art might look like uh, after the world has ceased so so that's currently being scripted. Uh, I, I, I simply wrote too much, so now I'm going to see if I can cut it up into maybe the first three episodes of what would be, I think, a six-part miniseries, um, and I'm currently bashing that into alignment because obviously it's a different size canvas, a different format. One of the other projects I'm working on is a cinematic adaptation of Christopher Marlowe's Dr. Faustus. Um, faustus is the story about the guy who sells his soul to the devil uh for all all the world's knowledge we know the story it's been told a thousand times but what fascinates me about the story is that we actually haven't told christopher Marlowe's version yet uh cinematically There, there was a movie made back in the 60s uh but it was pretty much just uh the filming of a stage production um there are so many opportunities to world build in this, like Faustus goes to heaven and hell and all over the place. Um, And the demons are are certainly not human. The way they're described in the original story that Faustus is describing, Uh, but Marlowe adapts Dr. Faustus from uh, a story, which I'm also utilizing as the base. Um, And in that, I'm able to pull a lot of the visuals forward in a manner that Marlowe wouldn't have been able to do because he was working in a stage environment. Um, And because of Troll Bridge, I I want to be able to pitch something that's heavy in visual effects and has digital characters and puppetry and and, and all that kind of jazz. Uh, And that's kind of what Dr. Faustus is for me. Um, I, I just love the idea of people speaking... Iambic pentameter, and they're a, a CG monster or a puppet or something crazy. Um, Faustus gets his head cut off at one point and still speaks. And I love the fact that he's speaking blank first poetry and he's a disembodied head. And I ain't never seen that and I want to see it. So um, that script is written. Um, we're, we're currently pushing that forward. We're into designing concept designing. Um, and once we've got a, a Bible, completed of illustrations about what we want to do uh then we take it to producers and try and get the funding that we need um and the third project uh that i'm working on is another adaptation i work well with adaptations i like adaptations is a survival story based on um douglas mawson who was a polar explorer uh from australia and we haven't had a story based on him yet we've got shackleton and scott Um, and all these other much more famous explorers. But um, I kind of feel that Mawson achieved the most out of all of them. And maybe you've been sidelined because he was an Australian. I don't know. Um, He he wasn't doing the romantic stuff like racing to the South Pole, but there was nothing on the South Pole. So what are you even fucking doing? (laughs) He was more interested in the science of what Antarctica was at the time and trying to understand the geological impact upon itself and the rest of the world. And how does that relate with Australia's coastline and all the rest of it? And the disaster gauntlet that he and his men went on was, uh, I tell you what, it, it would put the revenant to shame the, the the shit that Mawson had to deal with. Um, If you want a hardcore survival epic, uh, Mawson's it. So I'm I'm currently scripting that as well. Um, I, I think between those three stories, I should be able to get one of those up off the ground. I hope. <laughs> no, obviously I'm very that's the plan. For the of this. Oh, thanks. But that, I mean, that's the plan. Like Troll Bridge was, although being an, an incredible achievement, the one thing that I continuously heard on the circuit was that it should have been a feature film. We should have made a feature film. Had we have made a feature film, people would have uh, paid a bit more attention to us. Um, they, it just gets thrown into the short film basket. And I love short films, um, but they don't really earn you a lot of respect, apparently, regardless of how complicated you make that short film. Um, And that was probably the biggest learning thing that I had on Troll Bridges. I thought, you know what, if I make a short film that's way more complicated than the majority of feature films, uh, people will pay attention to that. Uh, But that that didn't end up being the case. It it just got sidelined. You know, you, you didn't make a feature film, so you're not a serious filmmaker. Very frustrating. So these projects uh, is to designed to bridge that gap. Right on. Lots to look forward to.
1: Yeah. And that is honestly a shame because Troll Bridge audience members, if you are listening to this right now and you have not already seen Troll Bridge, you need to you need to check it out it is amazing and i think we were all talking about it beforehand not to say that you should have made it longer because i don't want to tell, you know <laughs> it's great the way it is but we were all saying we wanted more you know what i mean like that's exactly yeah. how we felt about it not in a bad way it just you know no. you want to leave the audience wanting i think and you definitely you left us engaged with those characters and wanting to see you know even more of that oh thank you so we do want to be respectful of your time i know we've Taken up a lot of it already, so we're going to ask a going out the door question that we like to ask all of our guests, which is: Do you have any peers or any indie filmmakers that you would like to shout out? Someone that we should check out that maybe we haven't heard of before, or anything along those
0: lines? Yeah, Please yeah, let us know. two, two, two. I'll give you two names. Uh, the the first, the first is Tim Egan. Tim Egan was our DOP on Troll Bridge. Um, directly after we finished uh, Principal Photography on Troll Bridge, uh, a lot of the crew went on to produce a film for Tim called Curve. Uh, And it is a tight, nasty little survival story that is so gripping. It's a, a mood piece that has you on the edge of the seat. And I adore it. And I know Tim's currently working on his first feature and I know nothing about it. But I cannot wait to see it. Um, I think the guy's an incredible talent and uh, it needs 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 to be exposed more. Um, incredible guy. The other person I want to throw a shout out to is Carl J. Sorheim. Carl is the chief director for a comedy troupe in Melbourne here called uh, The Camarella. And uh, I know The Camarella through Troy Larkin. And Troy... T- t- the, the actor that I constantly use uh, also works a lot with uh, the Camarella. Um And so he is their chief director and he has produced uh, quite a number of very funny YouTube viral pieces. Um, and you may have even heard of them, uh, that, like Bitcoin Explained, um, which was retweeted by Elon Musk, of all people, um, and, and a few other things. They're, they're very funny uh, and very absurd, and I admire his stuff a great deal.
2: You hear that, guys? Go
0: check them out. We yes. definitely will. We absolutely will.
1: Thank you for that, and thank you for all of your time today. We really do appreciate it. It was Awesome talking to you. All of your answers were very thorough. Not that we expected anything less, but just you know, you kind of answered anything everything we wanted and more. So I I'd apologize like to say thank if I you. rambled. No, <laughs> That's no not problem. at all. No, no, not this at is all. the perfect format for it. Yes, yeah. Yeah. We want to hear what you have to say. So
0: <laughs> well, thank you very much for having me on the show. I had a blast. Thank you.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much.
1: There you have it. That was our interview with Daniel Knight. We hope you enjoyed it. Thank you so much to Daniel for coming on to talk to us and for giving such great answers. We look forward to seeing what he creates next and we'll keep our audience updated on that.
2: Yeah, thank you, Daniel. Uh, This was absolutely worth waking up at 5 a.m. to record this interview. Uh, I feel like I learned a lot. Uh, Daniel is super nice. Uh, I hope we can get him back again in the future when his next project comes out. At this point, if you guys haven't gone to Snowgum Films on YouTube, fucking do it. It's good stuff. Check it out. Yeah, I've been hawking the Patreon a little bit of his, trying to see
3: uh, what's coming down the pipe. And his his talk of Terry Pratchett's got me thinking I might have to read some of that stuff. I can never make a real dent in my anime watch list that I've got going right now. But uh, big thanks for coming on, Daniel. It was a good time.
1: Yes, we appreciate it. Thank you for coming on, Daniel. We hope to have you back on for your next project. Stay tuned for that. For us, our next project will be Next Friday, our next episode is releasing next Friday and we are back to reviewing a single movie in that episode. It won't be a miniseries episode or an interview, just a regular old review of a movie. Gardner, you have the honors of picking the next movie since you correctly guessed when The Forever Purge would take place. Do you want to share oh, with really? the audience what we'll be discussing next week?
2: Absolutely, yeah. Uh, this is a fantastic film, foreign language film from one of my absolute favorite directors of all time. Hands Labyrinth from Guillermo del Toro. We will be watching and reviewing on Friday. So please tune in. I'm very excited about this one.
1: Hell yeah. I think that'll be probably, I'm guessing Tarn's first time watching it. I have it on DVD. Haven't seen it yet though. So it will be my first time watching it as well.
3: Yeah, I thought i had seen this movie, but I think I saw something played off the same story because I don't remember watching it. It could
2: be, have you seen the Hellboy movies? No, no.
3: I, 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 I think it was the the weed uh, inspired pan's labyrinth which i i don't remember exactly what the name of that one is i don't know that one maybe that'll be a bonus yeah right <laughs> I, I yeah i might be tripping It's something else that i'm thinking of okay well i'm this excited is the for the thing with the eyes though yeah yes, yeah you know the yeah.
2: image of the guy with yeah. the eyes in his hands yeah i'm excited about um, that yeah so this will be both of y'all's first time experiencing it that's exciting yeah i'm hype uh everybody Go watch it, get ready for the episode, and uh, we'll see you on that one. See you next Friday. Peace out. Oh, I hate that. I hate that. (laughs) I hate that. You can't hate all your outros.